It was said that he could round the bases in 12 to 13 seconds. I think one one verified time was like 13.1 seconds, but that was on a muddy field. Welcome to episode 166 of Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast. I'm Joe McFarland. February marks Black History Month, and over the last few weeks, we've had social media posts about past stories on legendary baseball players who broke the color barrier in their own way, including Satchel Paige, Leon Day, Jackie Robinson, and Andre Dawson. We also introduced you to two new stories, one on Hall of Famer Cool Papa Bell, and another on Dick Brookins, whose final days in professional baseball came here in our province. For a little more insight into those stories and the research that went into them, we welcome back to the podcast ADS co-founder and writer extraordinaire Ian Wilson. Ian, welcome. Thanks for having me back. Let's start off with the story of Cool Papa Bell and give us a little bit of the backstory here on who he was, some of the legend around him, and the impact of him on the game as a whole. Cool Papa Bell, first of all, fantastic handle, mm-hmm. one of the best handles in baseball history. Um, and one of the fastest, uh, athletes that baseball has ever seen, um, uh, in doing some research on, on cool Papa, uh, of course, went to Buck O'Neill, who, uh, the master storyteller of, uh, of the Negro leagues and recent, uh, hall of fame inductee. Uh, and he had talked about, uh, cool Papa just being the fastest mm-hmm. ball player that he had ever seen, uh, faster than Maury Wills. Uh, faster than uh, like Kenny Lofton or Bo Jackson or guys like that and Lou Brock. Didn't see him mention Ricky Henderson in there. That was one name <laughs> that was a little absent. Uh, so uh, maybe there's some debate there. But uh, and and just uh, some of the legendary stories around him. Uh, he did play in St. Louis. He got suited up for the Kansas City Monarchs, uh, of course, which is the the gold standard of of Negro League teams, and. Um, yeah, like some of the stories. One of them is actually uh, reportedly true about uh, it's kind of the line that was made famous by Muhammad Ali about uh, turning the light off and then being in, in, in bed and under the covers before it's dark. And uh, that one is actually apparently true. He was rooming with uh, Satchel Paige uh, on one of these uh, barnstorming tours or, or and, and just at the hotel, he noticed uh, when you turn the light on, the light went on right away. When you turned the switch off, uh, there was just this slight delay, like a second or a half second. So uh, I think I think the bet was for 50 bucks, uh, which was a lot of money back, mm-hmm. <laughs> back then. And Satchel was like, no, you're getting old, man. Like, I, I don't think <laughs> I, I don't think even you can do that. You couldn't even do that in your younger days. Sure enough, swindled them a little bit there. And, you know, uh, so that again, part of part of the legend. Uh, one of the other stories about him, uh, it was said that he could round the bases in 12 to 13 seconds. I think one t- one verified time was like 13.1 seconds, but that was on a muddy field. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, just stupidly fast. And Jesse Owens, um, he when he came back to the states after his Olympic triumphs, uh, gold medal uh time in germany he uh he would often you know kind of go around the country racing 
he'd race some ball players mm-hmm. and uh you know there'd be a bit of a some showmanship to it i think he raced a horse as well he would not race cool papa bell so <laughs> even jesse owens had a healthy respect for for cool papa so there's just some some you know outstanding stories around uh uh around him and you know as much as he gets credit for the the stolen bases uh a very capable fielder uh very good hitter as well i think his lifetime batting average in the negro leagues was you know 330 somewhere mm. in that range uh you can correct me if i'm wrong later on but uh yeah that's uh so just a fantastic player and and a hall of famer as well uh, you know unlike uh, john donaldson this this time around did not get into the hall of fame yet he was a barnstorming legend that uh it was just fantastic pitcher but cool papa was inducted in uh in 1974 i believe so uh great to see that he's he's in the hall it's funny you bring up the speed factor and a guy like lofton or that kind of thing it begs that question as to when major league baseball one day I know the home run derby is a big deal, but when do they introduce the fastest runner around the bases? Because how much fun could that possibly be? Oh, I love it. I love all those uh, those ideas. The one that I love that they do, I think it's either in Japan or Korea, mm-hmm. uh, is the bunting, uh, yeah. the bunting competition where they have to place it in the targets. And, and yeah, I'd love to see stuff like that. You mm-hmm. know, and Of course, you have to worry about injury and, and things like that. So you don't want to see guys getting hurt. But hey, Send these guys around the bases, see what they can do, right? They, they do it in hockey, so why not? Exactly. Getting back to cool Papa Bell here, and uh, obviously because we're Alberta dugout stories, there's an obvious Alberta connection. How did you stumble across that? Yeah, so actually I, I looked, I was looking into, usually this time of year I kind of look into several Negro League stars and whether they came through here. Um, of course, we've done stories on Jackie Robinson, we've done stories on uh, you did a story on on Leon Day. Uh, we did stories on um, Satchel Page coming through, and John Donaldson, as I mentioned. And uh, with Cool Pop, I did look some other names up. That uh, Rube Foster was one that I couldn't find. Uh, he was, of course, a uh, legendary manager of the the Monarchs. Uh, I couldn't find any links to Alberta. And then uh, Cool Papa, I'm not going to lie. Part of the reason I, I looked him up was. Uh, the, the uniqueness of his name mm-hmm. uh, made the searching <laughs> a little bit easier in terms of going back through the files. And, and sure enough, uh, he didn't spend, you know, a ridiculous amount of time in Alberta and Western Canada, but he did come through here, uh, you know, when he was a little bit older when he was in his forties. That was the other thing is his age seemed to shift uh, depending on the media reports, anywhere mm-hmm. from 43 to 49 in a in a two-year span so you never really knew how old he was Mm -hmm. and i mean the other thing that i always find cool about these stories no different than with satchel when you wrote that story was um it's not just the big cities that end up getting some love from these barnstorming tours right like yeah edmonton gets a visit yeah calgary gets a visit yeah lethbridge or med hack get visits but hillcrest was mentioned in this one i mean pinoca is a fairly common place where i know there's a big money tournament and pinoca is mentioned at one point to know Barhead was mentioned as well in a story. When it comes to touring Alberta, they left no stone unturned a lot of time. Well, I, I, yeah, and I think they'd go where the where the money was. And um, you know, in in Cool Papa Bell's situation, he I couldn't find he he may have ended up in Calgary. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just about what you can find, right? Mm-hmm. So didn't find any reports of him going to Calgary. He did go to Edmonton. 
uh, I think that was near the start. This was uh, June of 1948. When he went to Edmonton, he was there on a Monday, Tuesday. And I think the, the Monday night game was 3,500 to 4,000 fans in 1948. Mm. So on a Monday night, <laughs> so pretty, pretty good draw. And yes, he'd been through Camrose. He, they drew 4,000 people to Camrose. Uh, went to Sylvan Lake. So yeah, not names that you certainly not at the time would associate with with baseball. Mm-hmm. But you know, the, if the facilities were there and the tournaments were there and the fans were there, that's where they'd go. And Hillcrest, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know what the the attendance was there. I think in Lethbridge <laughs> it was eighteen hundred. So yeah, just great to see him kind of touring around the, the the province at that point as well. He was a, a player manager. And most of these games were at uh, were against the House of David team, mm-hmm. which uh, was a, at some point we'll have to do a, a more expansive look at the House of David uh, team. This kind of um, cultish, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, team from from Michigan and and their whole backstory. And they were famous, of course, for a couple things: having their their long beards. They wouldn't shave. Uh, so they'd have long hair and long beards and uh, inventing the, the, the pepper game or the, the pepper ball act, as they called it, mm-hmm. which was kind of like a Harlem Globetrotter-esque uh, scene for the fans. So they'd do that midway through the game in the fifth inning. So, yeah, just all kinds of great stories. And, and you know, Cool Papa didn't necessarily get into a lot of game action. He didn't start a lot of games. He'd come in as a pinch hitter, maybe do some relief pitching, that kind of thing. But uh, in Edmonton, they got a good good look at him, and he went. I think he went two for four with a triple, and made some great plays out in the field, like just some hard to get fly balls. So one of the interesting aspects of this, and he kind of alluded to it, is you don't necessarily know you're kind of beholden to what we have access to, right? Because not all archives are available online anymore. It's not like you can go to, you know, some small town, like even smaller. I think about the the baseball scene around Granham and, and Vulcan and that area where Pat Gillick played back in the 50s is they might have had newspapers back in the early 1900s, but do you think that they would be available online? Like, say, the Calgary Herald or the Edmonton Sun, those are all available on newspapers.com or newspaperarchives.com, which is what we use. So we're kind of beholden to that. And so the next question I wanted to ask you is, when it comes to the research on stories like that, walk us through that process, because it is a bit of a, uh, a, bit of a scavenger hunt. Yeah, and you mentioned the two main uh, newspaper archive uh, websites that we use, and and those are invaluable. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of them is great for the uh, the Edmonton and Calgary uh, newspapers specifically. The other one is great for Lethbridge, uh, Medicine Hat. They're, I mean, but they're not uh, they're not definitive, right? Mm-hmm. And even newspaper accounts of the day. Um, you know, you're left wondering, like one of the names that came up was uh, in, in from the Ed, one of the Edmonton stories was George Wilkinson mm-hmm. uh, running the Monarchs team at the time. And I, I you know, I don't you know, it described him as J.L. Wilkinson's son. J.L. Wilkinson was the founder of the Kansas City Mark, uh, Monarchs. It, I had a hard time finding whether, you know, J.L. Wilkinson, this massive figure in baseball history, had a son named George. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so sometimes it's, it can be tricky to, to to find things like that. There there are times where you know uh, I'll approach some local museums and things like that, 
the Esplanade in, in Medicine Hat, uh, for example, uh, has some great resources and some engaged staff. Right? Mm-hmm. You basically need someone on the other end of that that phone call or that email to go dig through the, their archives a bit. So, so I have had some help from from places like that, but uh, you do get an incomplete picture, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you're just you're trying to get as much information as you can and and go with what you've got. But you know, for the most part, kudos to the newspapers of, of the day for giving you some sort of picture even if it was shaded in a certain certain way you know that was the other thing that i always watch for in these newspaper accounts is some of the language can be uh, is is kind of the racist meter like mm-hmm. <laughs> how how racist was this reporter and and you'll you'll kind of see different uh, different uh, variations of that with john donaldson you saw variations of the n-word uh, mm-hmm. directly applied to his name either in the headline or you know the first uh, description of him um and then other people you know i, I recall with jackie robinson uh and actually satchel page as well some of the lethbridge uh reporters and editors of the day just saying hey why aren't these guys in the major leagues mm-hmm. so it really ran the whole the whole gamut the the one name i saw this this time around that was cringy was uh, out of Lethbridge, w- describing the monarchs as the nocturnals, which mm-hmm. um, maybe I'm reading too much in there, but <laughs> I don't I, think you are. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know. It just uh, seemed a bit oddball to be putting that that moniker in there. Absolutely. Well, a great story. Again, albertadugoutstories.com is where you can check out the story on Cool Papa Bell. We're going to take a little bit of a break here to acknowledge our platinum supporters. And then when we return, we'll chat about a little known minor leaguer by the name of Dick Brookins. This is Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast. We are honestly just blown away by the support we've received over the years from all of you. Thank you for checking us out on social media, on our website at albertadugoutstories.com, and here on the podcast. It means the absolute world to us, as we know we couldn't do it without all of you. We also couldn't do it without the generosity of our supporters, our official teammates, our platinum supporters of the Okotoks Dogs and AHP Academy, dogs are getting their roster ready for the 2022 wcbl season for more on their schedule and how to get tickets go to dogsbaseball.ca and ahp academy is growing by the day it seems helping edmonton area athletes in so many ways learn more about them at ahpbaseball.com and again thank you for everything you do in supporting alberta dugout stories We're back with the Alberta Dugout Stories co-founder and writer Ian Wilson as we celebrate Black History Month with a look back at a couple of news stories that we posted on our website. And for this next section of the podcast, we're actually going to flip the script a little bit here as Ian's going to interview me about my story on a man by the name of Dick Brookins. So, Ian, take it away. Well, Joe, first of all, what's with uh, you and the stories that uh, are more than a century old? You seem to be (laughs) taking over that role for us of... uh, exploring these stories from what when this one is from 1909 1910 if i'm not yeah, mistaken absolutely it is and it, it, i don't know what it is either i mean part of it was especially with the look backs on like the the calgary broncos of 1920 21 it was a century ago right and so i find 
those parts fascinating. And then I just end up in, and I think you're in the same boat. You go down these rabbit holes and then before too long, you're like, there's a story here for sure. And I think the other aspect of this, and I wanted to go back on this point a little bit from our, our, our conversation about cool Papa bell is one of the things that we take a lot of pride in is being able to document some of these things that aren't necessarily documented, right? Because the internet is its whole new age and we're able to document some things that uh, future generations are going to be able to look back on and go, oh, cool, there's a story about uh, Alejo Lopez or Jim Henderson or all of these different current players, but we also have this opportunity to go back in time and, and tell some stories that have kind of been lost over the last hundred years or so. And well, and you've, you've certainly done that with... Uh... Richard Brookins, who um, went by the name of Dick, and uh, just in the cursory uh, research I did on him, it seems like he was surrounded by dicks. <laughs> well very, played. A very uh, interesting and, and kind of odd situation, and I'll get you, I don't want to give away too much of it, I'll let you do that, but run us through what what was the deal, what was the story with, with Dick Brookins and his situation uh, and, and, and certainly how it related to Alberta and Saskatchewan at the time. Yeah, it's quite the interesting story as you look back on it. Uh, he's born in St. Louis and, and from all accounts born into an affluent white community, um, but he had a bit of a darker skin color. And from all intents and purposes, a lot of he was originally thought of when he was coming up through his baseball life thought of as being white nobody questioned it and then in 1908 is when you first started to get glimpses of some pushback because of the darker tan or skin tone that he had um, and there was an actual investigation by one of the main organizations in baseball america around whether or not he had some negro blood or what percentage the percentage is what was called into question and you get a sense as to the pecking order for whether baseball players were able to play or not you had the whites they were allowed to play you had the mexicans they were allowed to play but when it came to native americans they were kind of second last and then blacks were on the bottom and that's where the question mark lingered as to what percentage if any he was allowed to play so in 1909 it came back into canada's uh, peripheral when he tried to join vancouver and the I believe it was the Vancouver Beavers. And he was given a bit of a tryout in Vancouver. And there were some notions and some things said, but nothing was really annotated in the newspapers of the day around whether or not that was a deciding factor in him being let go. So his stats line on baseballreference.com when it came to his Vancouver stop is incomplete. There's nothing there other than, hey, he got a cup of coffee with the team at some point throughout. Uh, so that was sort of his his beginnings in Canada. Fast forward to 1910, and he ends up in the prairies, Regina with bone pilers, in fact. And that's where nothing was really said about him, aside from the Regina Leader Post making some mention about how he was getting a, a cold response and having some racial epithets thrown towards him uh, in Moose Jaw. And then things started to percolate a little bit more. And you get some differing reports depending on who you talk to because the Albertan in Alberta, for example, had a scathing article about uh, what Madison Hat and Lethbridge were doing to Dick Brookins. There was an actual um, 
question brought up as to whether or not he was allowed to play in a game against Medicine Hat. The president of the league at the time, Ekstrom, seemed to have a bit of a vendetta against Regina for some reason. He was from Lethbridge, and I think that's where some of the confusion laid as to whether or not it was Lethbridge who had lodged an official complaint or if it was Medicine Hat that lodged this official complaint. But either way, Ekstrom really looked bad in the grand scheme of things because he didn't provide any kind of consultation with Regina at all. He didn't say anything about anyone other than the fact of this is our order. It goes back up the chain of command to Baseball America's top dogs to say, hey, listen here. They actually had a letter stating that he was born in this affluent St. Louis community that was all white. Uh, Although throughout the process, there was some mention about whether or not he was Cherokee, which would have explained why it was a different kind of skin color. But at the end of the day, Ekstrom said, I don't care. He's not allowed to play. Uh, It eventually led to Regina having a tough go of things. They folded before the end of the season was up. Then there was some question as to whether or not there was uh, a manager in Lethbridge who had quit and had before he quit released one of the Lethbridge players so that he'd be able to because he knew he was getting a deal in Regina so he's going to move to Regina take this this star player as well and so Ekstrom was was going to say no to Brookins because just because of that so was it retribution there or was there an overt racism there's a lot of question marks that that really still lingered when it came to whether or not he was able to play or not but at the end of the day Ekstrom said no and then uh, Uh, Brookins basically disappears into the shadows, never to be seen again in professional baseball. There's a lot there. (laughs) Oh, a lot. Yeah. First of all, let's start with the Regina Bone Pilers and give that name. uh, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) This fantastic uh, team name. Um, But I I think you're seeing some different layers of of racism and and some interesting complexities of, of race of the day. Uh, just to clarify a few things, were were black players allowed to play in this this league at the time? The short answer to this question is no. Okay, and then just to follow up on that, so and to kind of summarize what you previously discussed, you essentially had what a player that many people believed was a a black player. Uh, posing as a indigenous player mm-hmm. which the indigenous player would still you know receive all kinds of racist uh, treatment mm-hmm. but hey he wasn't quite as bad and and he was allowed to play that is that a fair essentially summary? yeah yeah <laughs> that's a cole's notes version of this and and that's what fascinated me the most to be honest about this story is um, and at the plate, do real big credit to at the plate and what J. Del Ma does with that site and what he's done over the past, I think it's like 15 years or so where he's documented and really gone. Um, there's a lot. And that was the challenge with some of the stories that he's done is it's so in depth. And our tact has always been make it kind of reader friendly that can that kind of lays out, especially in these historical pieces, lays out some more of the timeline piece and gets out of the intricacies and some of the insider baseball, pun intended, Mm -hmm. uh, with the stories. And that was what I wanted to do is kind of lay this one out as chronologically as possible. But with with that story, it kind of really shows off some of the intricacies around the challenges around what 
Dick Brookins was facing during those days is is just the the impending who knows what's going to happen from day to day. And and as you read the newspaper articles from those days, and especially from the different markets, right, whether it was Lethbridge was relatively quiet, was taking a lot of wire copy on the story. Um, they did take offense to the Albertans uh, recollection of it because they basically wrote a story on what the manager of Regina was saying, which was very, very, uh, there's some, some colorful language uh, in that article. And then you had what the Regina Leader Post was writing about the story. And, and Winnipeg actually had a little bit to say in it as well. There's just differing accounts on who was to blame and who was responsible and, and that kind of thing. And that's, again, there's just so many questions even to this day around what his actual lineage and family tree looked like. Very, very interesting just to see some of that and how it unfolded. And of course, you'd have some teams that they probably really didn't care mm-hmm. what his lineage was, but just for competitive uh, advantage sake, they would be trying to get him out of the league. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's what's happening on the field and any kind of edge you can get that that aspect of it as well. Um, now, I understand as well that you were able to correct me if I'm wrong, track down a distant relative of, uh, of Dick Brookins. And, and did that, if so, did that clear anything up? Did you get any answers through that? It's such a fascinating story. So this was, uh, I, I decided over the course of the last, so this, this name came up to me maybe two or three years ago. And I've got a little scrapbook that I write down some names or story ideas that, Hey, if I want to tackle this one day, have at her. And this was just the one that I was like, Oh, I'll just do a quick Google search. And then I end up going down this weird rabbit hole where three hours later, I've probably consumed way too much, uh, content for my own well being. But, uh, in my Google searches, what I'll typically do as well is do a Twitter search for a name. And, and this one seemed to be a name that was, wouldn't strike up a whole lot of uh, responses. But I found on Twitter someone asking questions and saying, hey, listen, I'm a distant relative of Dick Brookins. I'm like, oh, well, isn't that interesting? And so I decided to do a little bit of background checking and that kind of thing and, and ended up going to Facebook because she didn't look like she was super duper active on the Twitter sphere. So, of course, I go on to Facebook, and sure enough, I find her. Her name's Kelly Barnes, uh, and she originally got uh, went on this Twitter rant about it as she had gone searching through uh, her great-grandmother, who was Marie Victoria Brookins Shaw, it turns out, was the sister of Dick Brookins. So, distant, distant, distant relative, but she's doing a little bit more reading into the story and reading the different online accounts. And just as she said in a Facebook message to me, she says, listen, this was something, it was just hard to believe. She said, and I quote, I had never heard of Dick Brookins before. So when I read these stories, I was shocked to be so talented and repeatedly denied the right to play is just horrible. Uh, She read a couple of different uh, articles that had differing information, but he seemed to be, uh, be very persistent in his desire to play. And so it kind of led her randomly down this rabbit hole where now they have some uh, pending Ancestry.com DNA results to try to find out. Now, interestingly, she sent me a picture of some an indigenous necklace that was handed down from generation to generation. Now, does that answer the question? No, but it's going to be interesting to find out. She thinks that she might get the results in the next few weeks here, so we might be able to have an update on the story before the year's out. Unsolved mystery is with Joe McClure. <laughs> it reminds me so much of the Billy Hoolan story, 
right? Like yeah. in, in totally different in terms of that one was, hey, this guy disappears from after uh, basically separating from his marriage only to show up in Medicine Hat of all places where he helps uh, the Med Hat Hatters win a WCL championship under a completely different name. Uh, well, I shouldn't say completely different. It was still Billy, but it was <laughs> different last name, right? <laughs> Same kind of thing. Like there's just this this air of mystery around it. And I'm, I'm genuinely curious to see how this all plays out and even beyond that, not saying that this story kicked it off by any stretch of imagination, but the fact that there's going to be some updates to this story it makes makes it that much more real. And and I'm personally interested in my own family lineage. I can only imagine what Kelly and her family is going through now, trying to discover some of this past that has kind of eluded them for over a, a century now. Some great work on that that story as as mentioned earlier, just some some interesting perspectives on on race was viewed through the the lens of sport mm -hmm. at, at that time, and you know some would argue that not much has changed on that on that <laughs> front, but uh, uh, very interesting uh, study to to look at uh, in terms of uh, how you know how people engaged with indigenous and uh and, and black athletes of that of that time mm -hmm. absolutely well ian really appreciate you taking the time to uh not only answer my questions but also to ask me questions it was, it was kind of weird i'm not gonna lie but at the same time it was a lot of fun hope we get to do it again soon absolutely thank you very much well that'll do it thanks again to ian wilson for joining us once again and thanks to all of you for downloading and listening if you enjoyed this or any other episode, leave us a rating and review on your podcast app as those actions help spread the word about us. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Amazon, Podbean, and Good Pods. Until next time, thank you for all of your support, no matter the platform of Alberta Dugout Stories.